Hey there, folks. We're kicking off today's episode with a cup of tea from the Nepal Tea Collective. Nepal Tea is a social enterprise based in New York that distributes the freshest organically grown teas to different parts of the world directly from smallholder farmers in the beautiful country of, you guessed it, Nepal. You can join us for a cup of tea and be part of the global impact they're creating by visiting nepalteacollective.com. That's nepalteacollective.com. <laughs> Yikes, my cup of tea is already getting cold. So why don't you join me and hop into today's episode? Have you ever wondered what goes on in the minds of the creators of some of the world's most advanced pieces of technology? In this week's episode, we sit down with Dr. Lorraine Bassett, the industry segment leader of the Partner Solutions Factory at Amazon Web Services. With more than 40 years of experience in information technology, Dr. Lorraine has built and optimized some of the largest data centers in the world. Back in 2018, she closed AWS's largest partner deal in history. Leveraging her intimate understanding of customer needs, her unique approach to navigating relationships within the workspace, and her ability to recognize trends in emerging technologies. We take a look at her key career decisions in her 20s, her struggle to find her identity in the workplace, and the importance of striking a balance between smart spaces and tech-free spaces as we look to build a more connected world through the Internet of Things. This was the last episode that we recorded in 2022. We hope you find it as insightful, enlightening, and motivating as we did. All right, let's hop in. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. And welcome to the Boardroom Banter podcast, wherever you are, whoever you are. We want to extend you a warm, warm welcome to another guest episode right here in the boardroom. My name is Sean Karanja, and I'm joined here with Boniface Omina. Boniface, how's how's everything going? Hope you're doing hey. well. Oh, yeah. bro, it's been it's been quite a week. It's been quite a week, but this this is usually the highlight of our weeks. We just finished our our submissions, so we're easing into the Christmas holiday with so much enthusiasm and hopping yeah. into into the boardroom is one of the ways that we, we we like to unwind right pausing pausing everything else going on in our lives to to hear some fantastic stories and and life experiences from our guests definitely uh w- one of the things that i was telling a friend the other day is that this and i've said this on the podcast a couple of times that you know boardroom banter is a full-time course in that these are our lecture sessions we sit with you know expert lecturers from different places in the world and you know really we come here to learn and experience and today we're joined by a fantastic fantastic guest as usual guys you know how we do it in the boardroom like it it just keeps getting better and today we are speaking with Lorraine Bassett who is joining us all the way from the east coast she says it's negative 12 degrees out there Lorraine how's everything going welcome to the boardroom 
<laughs> yeah, thank you very much, Sean. And Boniface, it's really a really a pleasure to be here as well. And I, I really appreciate the invitation. Aside from the fact it's cold outside, I'm warm inside. And so I'm looking forward to uh, to our discussion today. Definitely. And Lorraine, you've got a really, really fascinating background. So I actually just wanted us to kick it off and, you know, just let people know a bit more about who you are. We could run through the usual, this is who she is, you know, yeah. kind of stalk your LinkedIn profile a bit and, you know, drop drop the different titles. But I think we'd like to hear it from you. Who is Lorraine and what are you up to right now? So... I think, well, and it's funny because you say an expert, I, I think we never see ourselves as experts at the end of the day, but I, um, so really just Lorraine, I live in, right now I live in the United States, uh, in New Hampshire, up in the mountains. I have a blended family, uh, adopted uh, through through uh, another marriage, uh, five children, right, and five grandchildren as well. And fitting, very fitting into that, we have a lot of rescue dogs as well, <laughs> which is very like our family. Um, but I was born in the UK, obviously, right? And um, and I've kind of mixed my life between the UK, Germany for 20 years and, uh, and the United States for nearly 20 years as well. So really just who I am. I love to live on the land. Um, despite having a whole a career in tech, like 40 plus years, very much like to find that balance between living on the land and working on the land and then taking that kind of freedom of mind and, and thought and then applying that uh, back into the business world as well. But been AWS now nearly, well, nearly seven years and, uh, and I'm enjoying that uh, at the moment as well. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that, Lorraine. Um, I was doing an essay this past week for, for my business management degree and the, the unit was managing people and diversity at work. So one of the questions that I was I was writing on was intrinsic and extrinsic motivation in multi-generational workspaces. That was literally the title of it. And one, one of the things that I was analyzing was just how different generations have been nurtured into the qualities that they that they show today in the workspace, outside the workspace. And one of the interesting things that we we love looking at here at the boardroom is how our different social and historical contexts growing up really shaped and informed the type of people that we are today. I'd be curious to hear from you, Lorraine, when you were, when you were our age, I'm 23, Sean is, Sean is 24, three, I don't know. So young. <laughs> <laughs> right around there. Yeah. When yeah. you were, when just you were turned our... 24, like a week or so. Then. <laughs> well, happy I'm, I'm getting used to the additional year. <laughs> you have to always remember Oh, how old are you? Yeah. If we go back in time to to when you were our age today, like some of the things that just really shape how Sean, myself, and you we go about day to day lives. You know, aside from aspects such as COVID, you know, the digital space, how interconnected we are in our communities. I feel like these are some of the the, the key aspects that really shape our day to day lives, and will eventually in the next twenty to thirty years inform the type of people that that we will be in the workspace and in our personal lives. What was going on when you were 20 years old, Lorraine? What were some of the social so, social spaces that you were in? What were some of the career options that were available to you as well, just comparatively to the world that you see that you see today? Ooh, that's a good question. Especially, I think, as, as even talking to my own children, and I'm seeing already the the differences, right? 
Um, because we often say, I, I get it, and I really am understanding I don't get it. Uh, yeah, I don't get it. And um, But I know for me, I, I don't, I think it's bizarre when I look back and I, it looks, people see success now, but, but really I, there wasn't a plan bizarrely enough, right? There wasn't a plan. I wanted to be this person, right? Uh, or I want to be this person in 10 years or 20 years. What I had was, I think what I had was an uber arching vision, right? Uh, of the type of person I wanted to be, not money, not title, not anything like that. But my only wish was that I wanted to impact, have some impact somewhere, right? I didn't just want to be in a standard job and that was all I wanted. And that's all I knew. And then uh, and then in my 20s, I, I had a good job. I was working at the stock exchange in London. Inherently great job. It was when they were digitizing the stock exchange. You know, we had the Big Bang, right? It was when all of that was happening in the early 80s. And then, um, but I realized that's not aligned to a vision, right? Just working, although it's kind of funny I say that now, just working 18 hours a day is really not, is really not making that happen. And so I moved to Germany. And that for me was the game changer. I had no, couldn't, I didn't speak German, right? All I had was a job. Um, I'd never been to Germany before at that point in time. Uh, but what it was, was this inherent risk of, a, a positive risk of saying, okay, I, the only way I can fall forward although I wouldn't have used that term back then, was to take a risk and make a change. And I, that, for me, was a game changer. But again, not because I planned it. It was very unknowing. And now when I look back, I get it. I totally get that I needed that lesson. Um, and then we didn't even really, oh God, I hate to say it, but we didn't even really have tech, right? So we were implementing, my team was implementing the first Cisco network in the world, right? We still had X25, we still had DeckNet, all of the really old technologies. And we were even building uh, browsers, right? We didn't even have internet browsers. And we were talking then about the internet just being 100 mainframes and nothing else. So we had no vision from a tech perspective. Um, we were just functioning as tech was growing, right? And uh, and tech was becoming available to us. Um, Which year was this, Lorraine? Sorry. 81, 81, 82, mm. way, way back when. And the, um, yeah, and even, so it really, there, there wasn't really a forward thinking motion, but for me, what I think didn't change was what I wanted to become, right? And then what, and the, the biggest lesson I learned since then, so with regard to spaces was um, my route to get there wasn't anywhere close to what I thought it was going to be. I thought I had a direct line of sight of the person I was going to become, but that that didn't happen either. And the 20s was really beginning of that experience of all the decisions good and bad right to get to where i am today awesome i think that's a that's a great foundation to be starting on where you reverse engineer your goals towards you know hey look who do i actually want to become at the end of the day right because i'm guessing from who you want to become the the what and the how then follow afterwards Right. That's exactly what. Um, but I didn't yeah, know. It. I didn't know it at the time. It just was happening. Yeah. So, so what what was that career progression like? Because we can see you've you've worked at all sorts of places. So you know, maybe highlight for us. You know, some of some of the roles that you've had, some of the um, technologies that you've also uh, you, you know helped bring forth. Because you know, when you spoke of the times that you were getting into into the tech world it, computers were you know you're just thinking of things as you know 
10 mainframes and uh, you know stuff was probably the size of a, a desk or a little car uh, yeah. at, at the time and and now you're working you know you're, you're pioneering the the adoption and scale of the internet of things which is basically smart devices everywhere you know how can we make it my lamp smart you yeah. know so so you've you've seen it from the beginning to now and I'm curious what were some of those steps that you took in between and places you've worked and yeah and actually that's a, it's a great question and it's more of a uh, it, I started in tech like most of us do right so I you know did programming and then I took the job in Germany where really I worked with an amazing group of engineers and we built and optimized the largest networks in the world. They didn't exist before this time, right? The first Cisco, like I said, the first Cisco network, we were building data centers, huge data centers all over the world. So that created a, a great amount of experience. But then I noticed something, again, it comes down to this impact. Okay, how do I really impact things? And that we were implementing projects, some small IT projects to large ones, that really weren't as successful as organizations like to say they are. And I think that I forget now the stat from way back when, but only 40%, let's say, and I'm just throwing the number out there, of IT projects are actually successful at the end of the day. They don't achieve the outcomes they intended to. So then I morphed over. So I had, then I went into, I headed up sales and business development for multiple tech companies, you know, was a VP multiple times. Um, but again, I struggled with that identity in that I was selling product. I wasn't, I didn't, I was just selling product because it was on the shelf, but it wasn't really impacting things. And then kind of, then kind of just go forward a little bit. I started a company in Germany that was focused on organizational design. How do we, how do we then incorporate people, technology and, um, you you know, and, and an organizational mission, right, all together. So there isn't just one thing, it, it, it's, it's multiple things that have to come together to achieve a goal. And that that formed the next level of my career is always keeping that those three things in mind that technology in of itself is meaningless. And then, so then we come to the internet of things. So why that? So then I ended up coming into Amazon and leading the internet of things for the public sector for Amazon, which was smart cities was a great thing, right? Smart cities, the military regulated industries. And, uh, and again, we were stuck because the internet of things was just that it was just connected devices. And things were, you know, and how many hundreds of billions of devices are now connected. And um, so it, it, so just going into the career progression, I did that. And now f- for Amazon, um, I had the opportunity. So I voiced my opinion about it. We will not be successful if we only think about it from technology and IoT. We have to think about what outcomes we're looking to create for the customer and for for the people who are buying it. So now for Amazon, um, I'm leading up an initiative called uh, Partner Solutions Factory, which is designed, really designed worldwide to create full stack solutions that incorporate into the into things, right? Connected things. And where we sell that, that full stack solution to a customer. I don't like use the word full stack, but I'm talking about everything is coming together, included all of the devices, right? And we provide that to the customer um, that whose sole purpose is to is to come up with a business outcome or enable a business outcome. So and so again, it's tech not not technology for technology because there's always been for the last forty years there's been connected things, but then how do we take that and really convert it into something that was digestible to the customer and meaningful? And uh, and I think we're just 
starting to get there. So that was the trajectory, totally unintentional, but just always thinking, always saying, okay, how how does what I how does what I do every day make an impact in the bigger in the bigger scheme of things? There's so much to unpack here, Lorraine, but before I even <laughs> get into that, <laughs> let mm. me just let me just acknowledge the fact that I resonate with something that you said of just struggling with your identity in the workplace. And it's just being tied to like, are you waking up every day? You wake up every day asking yourself yourself whether the work you're doing is creating an impact. Yeah. And I think the biggest question that's usually on my head, I don't know if my fellow podcast guys know this. Every time I step into conversations here on the podcast or I'm doing the post-production for episodes or we're in one meeting after the other, if that question isn't yes, I don't know what I'd ever do. Like, <laughs> because we give so much of ourselves to our work every single day, if you think about it, right? And I can imagine like, Lorraine, you've, you've been working more years than I've been alive, you know, for that matter. And, and I think I'm curious to, to understand from you, like before we even dive back into the internet of things and technology, how have you kept yourself motivated through all of these different career transitions or, or moving from one workspace to another, how have you kept yourself motivated? Oh, here's where it gets weird, I think. Okay, if I can get weird just for a second. In that, I think yeah, that- Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, let's do it. I think that we all have, you know, tech, even if, if I'm just looking at the customer, but let's look at myself as an individual, I'm not technology, right? I am a- person you know with dreams goals that are really outside of the workplace and uh, and for me it was it still is and I still question it every day right it is um, who is that person that is outside of the workplace and to make sure I feed that person right and and you know what the question I asked myself last night was okay I love my job um, but I don't I've lost that sense of freedom right so what do I define as freedom and free will in in be, in doing what I'm doing right and uh, and it was really uh, you know and I think post COVID it's come up where everybody's working really hard everybody's feeling really stressed right everybody's feeling like they're just on this track that that it might have been there before but maybe they're just more aware of it now and and I thought okay if I want that balance and I want to stay passionate I have to kind of come back and reevaluate what freedom means to me while I'm still doing my job, right? And um, and so that, and, and I don't have necessarily any answers, but I was trying to kind of visualize that in my mind. And what did I do in the past, right? I did, you know, my my weird thing, right, is that I, I love uh, working in anything spiritual, right? So I studied metaphysics, right? I studied theology, not because I wanted more degrees or anything like that. I just love the subject, right? So why did I talk, introduce myself as someone who lives off the land, right? It's because now I'm trying to learn, although doing it badly, to grow vegetables and food and keep bees, right? I'm really badly, <laughs> I suppose I haven't killed myself yet. But the, the thing, but it's, it's, it's a forcing function to say we're not our jobs, and in fact, if we have that balance, right, then we'll be better at our jobs. We'll understand technology better if we let go of it, right? It's outcome and, and new uses and thoughts will come to mind once we let go of that. I, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's I struggle with it every, not every day, but most days of, of what does it mean? How do I get that balance? Yeah, for sure. I, I've got, um, I, I resonate with that because, you know, over the past couple of 
internships, et cetera, that I've been doing, you know, I've, I've worked in a couple of business development roles um, and partnerships as well. And, and you find that, you know, most of the time, you know, when you sit down with like department heads or, you know, the CEO, et cetera, you walk into that meeting thinking, hey, you know, are, are the metrics that I've brought to the table sufficient? You know, like it's it's almost to a point, you know, when you're in sales or business development that you start to attach your identity to a, yeah. a bunch of numbers, right? And hey, was able to convert all these leads into, you know, first of all, qualifying them and then, you know, afterwards actually making them, uh, you know, buy something. And then even after they bought them, there's that customer success aspect of, you know, can I upsell you on something? Like it, it, it does get, it does get to a point where sometimes you're like, man, am I just selling stuff just to sell stuff? Just cause yeah. like you said, just cause it's on the shelf. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm, I'm interested to know, you know, as, as someone who has worked in sales, et cetera, um, you know, <laughs> you've been you've been successful i mean you know when we checked you out you know they they said you at some point eventually closed one of aws's largest partner deals in history you know and quote changing the way cloud vendors and system integrators do business together like that's a big flex you know um and so I'm, i'm 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 really curious to know how in all the years working with different people and selling different people's stuff, um, what's your philosophy around the relationship between a vendor and a consumer, right? So how has that changed from, because I'm assuming you you do walk into there with, with a sort of philosophy around, I'm going to sell you something, but also I'm building a relationship with you, right? Um, or, hey, we want to expand into this place, but also we want to create meaningful ties and connections like what what's what's your philosophy around how you deal with that well you'd laugh at this actually and I I've actually I stood up and I did uh talks right in, to, to tech companies on this and I would introduce myself as I hate selling I mean and I have to say that I, it is not in my nature I because I'm a relationship person right and and it, and just going in and trying to sell push what I class as push a product on someone it is for me it just isn't my nature and uh, and I was really lucky to meet a guy and uh, hopefully I'll come back to answer your question in a second when I had my own company in Germany um, it was really around what we class as consultative selling right it is um, it, it, there's a whole methodology around how we build those relationships before we even start the sell right and um and I said I remember saying to him I I I don't I don't want to go to this customer I don't not want to go I said but I'm just and I headed up sales which was kind of a funny comment I don't want I don't think it's the right thing to do to sell him this right it doesn't really have the money it's not the right fit and he said then don't walk in and tell him that right and uh and what it did it so I did go in and my company who literally if we didn't get enough revenue it was lights out but it's, but I was willing to say, okay, this it's n- it's not important enough for me to to do th- to do this to you. Um, I walked away, and he came back, and he closed an even bigger deal with us over that following year. So what it did is, what so what that gentleman said, he said, you're the best seller so long as you stay yourself, 
and you maintain trust, right? And if you have those two, um, and if you really only think about the customer, and I know it's hard because a lot of the guys we work with, they have a number they have to reach every month and they could lose their job if they don't reach it. So it, it's such a tough balance, but but I think it's almost like a, it's a little bit of the golden handcuffs. You lose yourself if you go too much to one extreme, right? You can't be all relationships like I am, right? You can't be all sales. There has to be that middle of the road. Um, but but I that consumer, you know, we just need to always make sure and stay with our customer first and foremost, right? And then work back from there. And if it, and then if we have that, I think we have more chance of being successful. Actually, and I, and I'll close on something probably tie into that. I had my team on a call yesterday about again how to think big, right? And uh, and try and keep repeating like what I did with this this other big deal. And we're closing more, by the way. So what I what I was communicating the, to them is that these big deals are not a chance thing. You to truly get to know the customer, you have to strategize and have a really clear view of where you want to take them within three years or five years, right? And work backwards from there. And sales is very short term. Sales is quarter of a quarter. Um, but I have them all creating five-year plans, three to five-year plans with the customer. And so that we can tell the customer how we're going to tell, work with the customer, how we're going to get them to their end goal. Um, but so it's it's not chance, right? But all sales, all relationships, all BD, is it, it doesn't work. You have to have a combination of all of it to be successful. I don't know if that answers your question. It was kind of a long-winded way of saying, <laughs> no, you know, it, it, it depends. Just be customer obsessed. I think that's the big thing. Yeah. A quick one. Is is the customer always right? Oh, actually, well, at, well at Amazon, we, so we are one of our leadership principles, which I think is the big one, right, is, is to always be customer obsessed, right, and think from the customer. So it isn't about being right, right? Um, so it is, that the customers also look to, to us to advise them accordingly. So the customers absolutely know what they want, right? They know what their pain is, so we can't dispute that. But the, the outcomes that we're trying to create, right, and how we're trying to create it, that's where I think we have a chance to mix in varying expertise. So it isn't, the customer will always be right. So I have to say that for the right reasons. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, but along the way, along the process, um, we you, you, you have so much expertise that you can bring to the table and guidance. And again, if you have that trusted relationship, that's easy to give it, to take the, you, you can even take the customer in a totally different direction that they never expected, right? So if they think, if they think only one way and we say yes to everything, then we're not doing our, our customer a good service. Nice save. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sean threw you a curveball there, Lorraine. Uh, Sean I'm like, you lost, <laughs> lost in the football. That was a good save, right? <laughs> this World Cup tonight, by the way, I don't know if you've been following. Yeah. But um, I think anyway, the game has already started. It actually. has. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to you, um, Yeah, sure. <laughs> Lorraine, I love I love what you said about trust, right? And just how integral it is in, in the workspace and in building partnerships. And it ties back to something that one of our other guests spoke about earlier this year. So we had Justin Spratt, the former global head of strategic partnerships at Uber. Oh, nice. When we had him, he was he was at Uber. I think he's since left. And he emphasized trust. You know, we asked him a question of. Actually, I'll ask you that one later. Let me not even. But yeah, he spoke about trust. And he said, um, 
that he doesn't compromise on that. And just tying back to something that you you mentioned earlier, Lorraine, you said technology by itself is not effective. And we we had a guest early a, a couple of weeks ago known known as Rupa Chatruvedi. She she works at at Google as a UX UX design lead. And she mentioned something similar, right? Of you know, is technology always the answer to some of the problems that we're tackling as a society, right? I'd love to get your your opinion on this balance, on whether we can strike a balance, right? You know, in our race to make our world more intelligent and more tech enabled or connected, do you think there's a place for tech free spaces and environments, right? Is there a way we can we can create a healthy balance between where we plug in technology and where we don't? And just just to build context, the lady who we had, Rupa, was involved in working on Alexa. Right. So just just tying yeah. that into into some of the work that you do with Amazon, you know, the, the Internet of Things, you know, focuses a lot on data. Right. And leveraging this data. What would you comment on on just the role of technology in some of these spaces? And is there is there space for for a balance between tech and non tech? So and I, I thought about that the other day, the short, the, the shortest and the easiest answer is absolutely. But there's something happening, and it goes back to even your earlier question around kind of where where is it different from my generation to your generation, right? So there's absolutely a space for tech-free zones, and there needs to be, because that ties into the balance. We have to have a mixture of things in our life to make us whole, right, in our minds. Uh, but I think our challenge right now is choice. And I'm looking at my... And I give an example, one of the projects, and it, and, it, and it surprised me, and it was it was like, okay, how do I how do I find that balance for our future customers? So working on a, a metaverse project, right? So and worldwide, right? And, and at that point, you know, and according to like um, the research analysts, let's say IDC, sixty percent of everyone that they interviewed want one or more activities in the uh, virtu- set up virtually, right? That for me, funnily enough, was alarming when I read it right? Why do they want it? It is even more alarming is because they want to go shopping, right? They want to do gaming and they want social activities with other people. And I wonder when I was looking at that, so we're looking to create tech-free zones, you know, and I'm saying we should absolutely have tech-free zones, but it looks like because technology is so prevalent in so many people's lifestyle, we're going that direction without kind of, without also in parallel coming up with the alternatives of tech-free zones. And I mean, you know, it. so it we should, but I think it's choice. Um, um, but then technology has really become so integral to everything uh, that we do. It, I wonder if my youngest daughter and her children, now my grandchildren, are going to be the ones that actually say, no, I'm done. I'm done with looking at TikTok or I'm done with looking at YouTube. I, I don't want to have all of my friends in the metaverse right i want them have them in the room so they're going to be the ones that have to say i'm done i'm this isn't right you know but my 15 year old would rather be on youtube for four hours a day if i let her right and look at videos and game right along with all of her friends and and we actually have to so we as the adult are making that choice to say tech free zones two hours a day and um but you know but yeah it's integral to their lives it's just a way of being now for them and for you, I guess, right? But, but I, I don't think it's healthy all around, and we almost have to f- create a forcing function around it, without being parents to everybody. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
you know, ba- balance balance is a key thing because you do find that it's very easy to get addicted to a new technology. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, there's there's still there's still the need for us to be open to you know using new stuff new experiences etc and and especially as stuff around us gets increasingly smarter right there's so many more new touch points to be accessing tech from you know um, we've got smart homes now now your home is intelligent Um, the other day I saw I saw smart kettles so like (laughs) your kettle yeah. <laughs> you know yeah and 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 as and, and and as a brit you know i know making tea etc is like important to you <laughs> I, I don't know how you feel about kettles getting smarter and infringing in your tradition <laughs> but you know i i just i just find it so fascinating but also it's necessary and it's just humans being humans you know at the end of the day like there's yeah. there's only so much we can do about um, us striving to to do more um, but 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 what I'd be interested in um, in digging into from from your part is um, you know when we talk about okay so we we, we spoke we spoke in the past about um, your ideology around sales etc I'm curious to know more from the strategy side right so you've got this really cool technology um, let's say it's nascent it's really new not many people know about it and and you want to increase adoption or you want to scale to new new geographies right i'm really curious as an entrepreneur and as someone who is you know really interested in strategy and just how do you make things stick right um i'm curious you know what, what are some of the things tips and tricks you've learned along the way when it comes to um scaling and 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 growth and and challenging new frontiers and really pushing new tech out there um, as a strategist and a leader, what are some of the tips and tricks and hacks that you've had to learn over over the past years uh, when it comes to how to scale a successful solution beyond just one country and and really take things international? Yeah, and it's actually we're in the middle of it right now. Uh, so we're we're really trying to pull all of the experience cards out of the hat to make this to to get a new technology launched. And um, you know the Actually, and I did kind of think about this answer, but I'm going to take it another way. And it's the biggest way for me and what I'm dealing with right now even is partnerships, right? Is um, because you or even even Amazon, right, which struggle to take a new technology and a new idea to new countries, right, without kind of having that base or that base that's already proven, you know, uh, in countries and in geos, right, already there. So, um, and if we try to take it directly, it's a much longer path. So the first one was to, which is doing right now is interviewing and getting to know the partners in place, you know, in country, and then uh, working with them on a, on a collaboration where they would actually take our product or service to market. That for me is proving to be the number one way, right? Because you want scale, right? You want to create that scale mechanism and it can only come through partnerships to a certain degree. Uh, and the other option, which is opening offices and having resources locally, is too expensive. So that's why the partnership option is the only way. Um, and the other one is what we're dealing with now as well, is to really uh, uh, under- understand, right, that not one size fits all. So you, we ha- often we have an idea and we force it outwards. 
And, and a lot of ideas sit on the shelf for the reason that it might fit one group of customer in one geo or even one type of persona, but it doesn't apply elsewhere. And um, we, ha we had a scenario, this was a side project we were doing, for example, right, is we wanted to provide, we, you know, like most countries, because of climate change, we wanted to understand how we would enable partners to track soil acidity and moisture right, everywhere in the world, and also kind of do a geospatial view, right, of all the farms globally, and that doesn't, that didn't exist at that point in time, and so that we can obviously continue to grow healthy food, and so here in the U.S., we kind of have these great sensors, right, that are all connected via the internet, can send data up, and we can do analysis on what we, what we get, you know, on what they're learning from the soils. Now, you take the African continent or, or India, there is no internet in many places in remote farmlands, right? Uh, farmers cannot afford the high-end tech, right, in many places. So then we had to look at how do we downsize and create a much cheaper version, right, of the sensor that we just kind of call, that when the satellites went over, the small sensor would send the farm data up to satellite. And then we also had to look at partnerships like the World Bank, for example, uh, because again, $6 for a sensor, on a small farm might or might not be doable, but then when looking at a lot of acreage, right, we had to find a way to get them to all regions worldwide in a way that was affordable to everybody. So coming to the original point, if we're looking at global expansion on a thought or idea, we really need to know who our customer is, right, and what business models apply, and then create, create that scale motion in that way. But we wouldn't have succeeded. Now it's in 180, all, in fact, every country worldwide these sensors right and they're available through the world bank but it you know and they fund it but this you know uh, but but coming to the original point we really had to think outside of the box it took years right to get approval to do this so um a, partnerships are key yeah there, there's an interesting book it's called never split the difference and <laughs> it's i i don't know if you've heard of it or, or read it uh, no. and so just like the title, you know, refers, what the guy is basically, um, what the author is basically arguing for is that, you know, in negotiations that are really high stakes, um, you know, it, it's it's go all out, you know, never split the difference, basically, like, don't leave anything on the table um, or, or do too much compromise. So, you know, you've mentioned that you, you are working with organizations like, uh, you know, the World Bank, et cetera. And even when you look at partners on the ground, I'm pretty sure these different incentive packages that 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 you need to have in place. Um, I remember when, when I was working at Visa, so in, in, in FinTech payment services, when we're partnering with local banks, we had to have these like partnership for growth agreements. And a lot of times that negotiation between what are we giving and what are we taking would take up like 80% of, of, of our time. How, how did you go about negotiating some of these things? Because I'm sure they wanted stuff from you. And, you know, you also have targets to meet and a bottom line to maintain. Like, what, what's your negotiation uh, strategy usually around that? Um, so it, it really... It really depends, right? And oh, that's really not an answer, right? But there's there's a there's another book, and I have to look for your book as well. But there's another book called Getting to Yes, right? And it's where most people really struggle, right, in closing deals. Very few people can do it well. Put it that way, because it's such a hard thing to do. 
and understand how you do that. Um, if it was a standard business deal, it really is laying out, you know, the both sides, right, and coming to negotiation and the gives and the gets, right? That's easy, I think, right? But what we wanted to, so not well, easy, you know, says me, but it, it's, that is, that's very formulaic, right? Um, you know, and laying out kind of the pluses and minuses for both sides and negotiating a win, right, for the customer, you know, for the partner customer and for you as a supplier, right? The issue became when we started to go global, in uh, and we weren't only focused on money. So if you're focused on profit, it's one thing. If you're focused on impact, then your gives and gets become something else, right? And so what started to happen for me over the years, and it's still happening now, happily, is that we are negotiation, negotiating with, uh, I, I am in my side projects, not at AWS, but with local entities um, and local governments on if we give these sensors, right? Uh, that, that or if we build this school container that that, that you would have 40 percent girls in the class and 60 percent boys right and they had to work together on projects or it was just really that given the get needed to align with what we wanted to achieve from an impact perspective and and so that was the big one for us but when we focus only on profit it's a really hard win-win i believe right and that's where we struggle but it had to be impactful and and then work out the gives and gets in that way. And that way we had more chance of winning. That was a strategy masterclass, Lorraine. I know no, this. This is definitely plug and play, plug and play advice right now. I want to I want to take some time and just acknowledge the work that you that you do in STEM education for girls, Lorraine. Um, just most notably you being the advisory board member at Ignite Worldwide, whose whose mission is just providing equal access. To STEM education for our girls, right? You, you just ended on a note that spoke about certain percentages between boys and girls in the workspace, and just getting them to work together. I'd love to just hear from you with the work that you've been doing, with what you've observed in the workspace, and just translating it to the work that you're doing with, with just increasing the accessibility of STEM education amongst women and girls. Why is it important to have more women? in the workspace in line with, with some of the work that you've done and our organizations, our people, is the world rallying behind this mission as best they can or, or is there more that needs to be done? <laughs> I think, oh, the second one, I'll do that first, right? The world's intent is to rally around it, um, but we are not doing nearly enough, right? And, and I don't know why. I think because we're inherently so different, countries are different, Governments are different, you know, cultures are different, that somehow we are just, we seem to go one step forward and two steps back. At least that's how it feels some of the time. Considering that it's important, it's not about a man-woman thing. It's just about equality. It's just about whether it's color, sex, or whatever we're looking at, right? There has to be a balance of people in a room, right, to come up with the greatest ideas, to, you know, right down from a core team to how you build your organization. It just inherently has to exist. And for whatever reason, through time, right, we have not implemented it. And for whatever reason, we are still struggling, right, to create that true balance across a team. And so, um, you know, and for me, when I looked at this, I thought, how, you know, how do you overcome something as complex as this? Everybody's trying, or at least not everybody. A lot of people are trying, but we're not getting there. And um, we're really just not, right? And it's frustrating to watch. And the Ignite Worldwide was really important to me because they had tapped into something that I think is key. And it's the same with anything, right? 
in other roles that I do, I do a lot of fundraising for um, for STEM and for diversity, right, and inclusion in the workplace a lot. And we we collect little bundles of money, and it goes towards helping someone with an, a you know a, a scholarship or just really bringing girls together to do a hackathon. That's great, but it's but it's too slow. It's way way too slow, right, uh, for me. And uh, and um, the CEO of Ignite Worldwide has a program in order to create what's called sustainable STEM. So we we actually go into what we call Title I schools, so the most under-resourced schools in the United States. So it isn't just a worldwide problem. The United States has real challenges around this as well, obviously. So we go to Title I schools, and we actually, within three years, implement a, sustain, a, a STEM program that's sustainable without additional funding. And for me, that's the only way to do it, no matter which country, which place. We have to find a way to sustain it, right, ongoing, whether we're in the room or not. And um, so we have a real a good vision that we're implementing right now, which is to implement it across 20 cities in the United States. But Ignite Worldwide is, is a global global um, entity, but on MPO. But, you know, but we're so behind and I and I maybe I'm just I'm oversimplifying it, but I don't know why we just can't flick a switch and make it happen right, for all of us. It's that simple. But uh, but there's a lot I think we still have to overcome to get past people and their their belief systems right and their mechanisms. Yeah, what would you say? I, yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna have Lorraine um answer this for for the for the women and girls who are listening to this episode right now. What's what's one piece of encouragement that you can you can just send their way for those who are either in STEM right now and trying to figure things out and it's not it's not looking possible or in the workspace. And because we do hear from, from the internship programs that we do here at LU, I think I, I've spoken to some people who are in certain workspaces where they did not feel included because of their gender, right? Yeah. And I think it's a, it's, a tough, it's a tough road to walk if you don't either have people around, it's just mentors who can, who can speak encouragement and and speak wisdom to you and and just give you that reassurance that what you're going through is not um outlandish it's a it's a real issue and and the organizations out there trying to to change this narrative like what is there something that you just like to to mention to them yeah and you know and i and there's no way to sugarcoat it right when you feel like you're on the outside you most likely are on the outside right that's a very real feeling and it and what happens is what's very sad it implements it impacts sorry our self-worth right as women not just as women but as as people right when we're just somehow pushed to one side right not good enough not smart enough not the right type right it's it all that that language is there and for me what we're doing and i know we've done this since with the initial work we've done with african leadership group so i have female mentors worldwide who have, have started to step in already to say, look, I will mentor anyone that needs it. Because just talking to someone helps, right? To realize they're not on their own. And another reason why I like that is, um, and I say this even to my team today, the people that mentor you will likely be your, you know, could well be your employees in the future or will guide you in, the, in that right direction. So mentoring others, um, joining um, organizations, like I, I joined Cloud Girls, institution like some 14 years ago when I was having problems being a woman in tech right the only woman in team and I was really struggling so I joined a team of other women leaders right 
um, and and we we're still together 14 years later so it's actually really cool and uh so it's getting a mentor figuring out what 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 um what's out there that you can join and start to share experiences with you know and just really don't give up right I, it's that's the most easiest and, <laughs> and and silliest thing i can say right but there is a light at the end of the tunnel you just might not see it and and across the workspace there'll be times where it does get really rough um but i think there's something you can learn which isn't to lose your self-worth right and maybe that's what we have to get out at the end of it i have no idea but you almost got to come through with your boxing gloves and say okay i'm not going to give up and i'm not going to let this person in, take away my power right as a person and i'm going to come through this and and probably and and i'd like to say to people change jobs right but that isn't easy for any of us right you need the salary right every 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 um you know to pay the bills but don't stay in situations longer than you need to especially if it disempowers you right it it's better it is better in other places right it really is wow i feel encouraged and i'm i'm not a woman in in, in stem but um one of the things that you know you've mentioned there when we're talking about STEM and just getting as many women into great spaces as possible within tech, um, a large amount of our our listener base as we speak are women who are in startups, who are in tech. Um, one of our super fans, shout out to Rokia, you know, great friend of ours who's who's a coder, and you know it's just so cool to me when I see. Um, things that would typically be characterized as stuff stuff boys do, especially here, you know, in 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 Africa, right? Um, there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done around what do boys do, what what do girls do? You know, there's still <laughs> a lot of like traditional this yeah. that. So you know, seeing seeing my friend, you know, on her Oculus, you know, doing virtual reality and stuff, like it's it's such a normal thing nowadays and and that's just how it should be and so you know seeing individuals like yourselves who are in tech leading tech um, just extending the table for others to come join i think is super important right and um anyone who's listening should should take note of that that hey look you're not alone these other people who have gone ahead and who are thriving and who are creating spaces for you to do the same um as yeah. we wrap up, one of, one of the questions I'm 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 curious to ask you, right? Uh, you know, even as you're extending this table and as you're building the future, what are some of the things that are exciting to you about the next 10, 5, 10, 20 years? That could be that that could be anything. I'm not gonna limit you to, you know, talking about IoT or um, you know, anything too specific, but you know, just as Lorraine, what's what what's what's exciting for you about the world that that is emerging? Yeah, and you know, so I I'm as I I'm nearly sixty, right? So I could just say like most people, I'm done. But actually, I really, <laughs> don't really don't count yourself out yet. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm leaving. But it, but really, what it unbelievably excites me is that, and and all of you actually are. I think I forgot for the longest time how to be an entrepreneur, right? Because I was on this track and I kind of had a, started to become really focused on, on things I think that are not as important as they should be. But you are where I'm actually come back full circle, actually, to hopefully to think more like you do, um, that's listening to the podcast. So now, now I've got that mindset back. I, um, you know, I, and, and, and I do love technology. So 
you know, kudos for all the girls on the phone, right? Who love tech, right? Because what you have is a mindset that, at least, I'm, and I'm, I'm trying to explain this in the right way without losing myself. You, your ideas and thoughts uh, really are going to be what manifests your next and mine and my grandchildren, right? The next ten to twenty years, right? You are, and it isn't a negative thing, right? You you're going to be taking your ideas and saying, okay, how can I think out of the box? And, and deal with climate change? How can I deal with sustainability, right? How can I deal with uh, agriculture, ag tech, and farming, right? And, um, and you, you really have that baseline experience that I hate to say it, that most of us have forgot, right? We're thinking product, 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 right? You have experience. You're still close to the ground where you remember and know it and feel it, right? And, and we're going back to the original discussion we had, right? Which was, you really are the future customer. So innovate on that thought, right don't let anybody tell you differently think big right so which is what I you know which is and I'm just saying it to you because that's what I'm telling myself and don't and take away the boundaries any preconceived boundaries that you think you have um because that and that's what excites me right and okay I know I have a platform I can do that but I think you by continuing to think big and not kind of compromising on that that you will do what I did actually is you'll continue to fall forward right there is no planning Right. I have I had no big life plan. I still don't. But I know if I can just keep thinking, you know, differently. Right. And uh, and innovating. Right. Things come my way just automatically. The dots connect. Right. Uh, and, and so that's what excites me. Really, I get up in the morning and I read the news and I'm like, oh, that would be a good idea. And that would be a good idea. Just don't stop that. You know, and uh, and that that's what that's for me, what's going to be important. Just and just keep going doing it. Awesome, Lorraine. Thank you. Thank you so much for for that takeaway i think i think every single person listening to this whether male or female will will value that piece of information and i appreciate that so so much as we come to the end of this conversation lorraine this has been quite the dream for us you know just sitting here sharing sharing our experiences and and we just recounting some of the aspects of our lives that are worthy of shining a light on and and as we as we come to the last segment we like to call this segment that elevator segment so so picture picture this right we just come out of a out of our boardroom session right we're doing a pitch on 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 the next technology revolutionizing how people interact with technology right and and we bid you goodbye and as you walk towards the elevator you know you, you see one of our budding interns one of one of Sean's little brothers you know, <laughs> who has who has some some quick elevator questions as they as they follow you in. Um, so let me know if you're ready for this next session, Lorraine. All right, let's do it. Let's go. So the first question: What is one life lesson that you had to learn the hard way? Um, that I'm uh, that I'm too. Uh, what's the word? Uh, I make decisions too quickly, and not think them through. Oof, that's a good one. That's a good lesson to learn the hard way. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Some of, my, some of those lessons were big, but yes, yeah, yeah. Love that. Business Love that. decisions, we'll, business we'll decisions. Talk, yeah. Business decisions, yeah. Awesome. Um, next question. What is one thing that you cared about in your 20s that you don't care about anymore today? Titles. You know, whether I'm a VP or, or not, doesn't matter. Wow. 
yes, some of us, I, I don't know if we'll learn that now or later on, but um, yeah, no, definitely. That's, that, that's a serious one. So my question to you would be, you know, you, you mentioned you're, you're into living off the land, right? So if <laughs> it's, it's a quirky one. So if you were to domesticate a wild animal, so think of like any wild animal that's just like totally wild, you know, and you are to domesticate it and keep it. You mentioned you you like to like rescue dogs. Now it's not a dog; it's a wild animal. Which one would you choose, um, and and why? In, I actually, I talk about this with my husband too. So I I'm going to change the word in a little bit. It will be. Oh no! You're already you're already onto it. <laughs> I'm so bad. It, it'll be a wolf, right? But mainly because there are things that you can't domesticate, right? So what I would look for is a is an equal. Actually, not even equal. Wolf's better than I am by far but um a wolf because of it because of its power wow well i'll send you a, a youtube link there's a video where these guys have a ranch and it's just wolves that they've kind of domesticated i don't know if you've seen those guys um but Sean, 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 what youtube videos are these what youtube rabbit holes are these you're going yeah, to? <laughs> you guys do not want to see my youtube like i i I'm into the wildest things imaginable. Uh, but yeah, shout out to the YouTube algorithm. Uh, yeah. Never fails. <laughs> yeah. Um, last question would be, what's what's your favorite hobby? So what what do you like to do when when you're not out changing the world or closing, you know, billion dollar deals? Yeah, no, I paint. I paint big, big, big paintings. And uh, I'm not talking about Renaissance type painting, but um, yeah. But, uh, but I dream paint, right? So I dream and then I paint uh, what I dream. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So, uh, dream paint? Yeah. Time out. We need to cut Time this out. podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't know, we didn't know who we were dealing with. but they but they people do like them they're, they're kind of cool and it's all about ecosystems and and uh it, it's like you if you look at the, when the amazon jungle was burning it bothered me a lot mm. painted my interpretation of that so for me that outlet is a way of healing the planet you know um, but whether in what in that, that particular form anyway do you post wow the paintings or photos of the paintings I can, I can send them to you. Yeah, I would love, I'm sure our listeners, I know, I know I would love to see them. I don't know about our <laughs> listeners, but yeah, I think that would be cool. Yeah, no, gladly, I'll send them afterwards. I'll send you the best. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, Lorraine, this this has been fantastic. And yeah, just as, as we come to the close of this episode, we just want to give a quick shout out to all of our listeners for making it this far. I hope that you guys have learned a lot from Lorraine. She's got, you know, decades of experience and it's been a privilege just sitting here unpacking that. And I hope all of you have also taken time to personalize her story and just figure out, hey, where do some of these insights fit into my life and my journey and the stage that I'm currently at? And if you haven't already, go check out our previous episodes and yeah, follow us on social media. We love to post about our guests, um, snippets from the episodes. And above all, if you guys have questions, comments, 
um, any way that you want to engage with us or our previous guests, be free, feel free to send us a DM and, and talk to us. We're very chatty, as you can tell. And any inputs from our audience and our community is more than more than welcome. So Lorraine, from us at the Boardroom Banter podcast, and on behalf of our audience, we just want to thank you so much for spending your mid-morning, I believe. Yeah. That's the time there. It was actually, it was an honor. And you guys are amazing. Seriously. It was a real honor. You made my day. So thank you for the invite. Thank you, Lorraine. And to everyone who's joined us, thank you too. And we hope that you have a fantastic week coming up. If you haven't already, go listen to our previous episodes. We drop every Tuesday guest episodes just like these. And on Fridays, we've got what we call Founders Friday episodes, where it's just Boniface, Yuri, and myself bantering. We talk about the guests that we've had on, the lessons that we've learned, and stuff that's going on around the world. So welcome again to the boardroom. This should not be the last time we see you. But as always, thank you and see you on the flip side. See you guys. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>